Welcome to The Story Tinker, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, including Midnight Poppyland, Purple Hyacinth, and more. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep into every episode, analyzing character, relationship development, and plot theories. You can follow The Story Tinker on all podcast platforms and videos of most episodes on YouTube. You can also follow The Story Tinker on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like weekly bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support The Story Tinker on Patreon. Thanks for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode five of our Sura's Bride Cold Myth. And today with us, we have Emily and Veronica. And for the first time ever on this podcast, we have Raluca, also known as Blue Katie. And I will let you all introduce yourselves. If you want to go in alphabetical order so it's easier. So Emily's first. <laughs> Hello, I'm Emily. Um, I've been on the Midnight Populand podcast before, but never on the Usurious Bride uh, one. So I'm very excited. Um, I live in New Jersey. Um, I'm 30. I am not very exciting outside of the fandom. I'm very, I'm very talkative in the fandom, but otherwise I'm usually very quiet, um, which I think surprises most people that know me uh, on Patreon. Um, but I'm excited to get into Usura's Bride because I've missed it a lot. Awesome. Raluca? Hi. Yes. Uh, hi, I am Raluca. Uh, I live in Romania. So if my accent is funny, you know why. Uh, I'm a mom. I have three little boys. Uh, I have entered the Midnight Pocket and Fandom last year, and it has taken over my life. Uh, discovered Asura's Bride through uh, Lily's Patreon and then immersed myself in fiction writing. Uh, my handle on AO3 is Blue Katie. So I write angsty, heartbreaking stuff. So if you want to cry, you know where to find me. And uh, I'm excited to be the first time on a podcast. Yeah. I'm a little nervous. And we're so excited because I was trying to convince <laughs> Baluka for like forever to come on. So I'm excited she finally agreed. <laughs> Alrighty. Hi, everyone. I'm Veronica. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm 35. Don't even feel like it, but I am. And then um, actually, I started reading Asura's Bride before. I read Midnight Poppy Land and it's what made me get into Midnight Poppy Land. And then next thing I knew I was obsessed. And so I'm, I'm really excited against this story. I've been on the podcast for um, Midnight Poppy Land a few times, but this is my first time doing a series bride. So I'm excited. Awesome. I, Thank you so much. I think I was, I used to think I read a bride first and then like, <laughs> I had to stop and think about it. And I'm like, I think I found Midnight Populant. This is, oh my God, I feel like this makes me feel guilty, but I think I found it and it was like so early on. And I was like, oh, like, I don't like, it's cute. But like, I was reading other things and I was like, oh, like I'll come back to it. Which like now makes me feel like I'm so obsessed. <laughs> like I did, I did read it like originally the original one religiously later, but like I found it and like bounced. <laughs> and then um, I think Life Light prop uh like was promoting um my dear cold-blooded king that she was promoting Ashura's bride um 
And then I bounced over there and was like, oh my God, I'm absolutely obsessed. And then I went like, was simultaneously reading what was then available of Midnight Poppy Land. And then as sure as Brian as it updated, I'm pretty sure that's how it went. I, I can't remember. I have an awful memory, but I can't believe I bounced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happens. I mean, the, the podcast, the story that I just started doing a, a podcast on, Purple Hyacinth. Mm. So I also like after the second episode, I was like, I am not reading this. This is so violent. It's so gory. And then I came mm-hmm. back to it because actually Patty recommended it. And I was like, you know, I trust Patty. You know, let me, let me give it another so chance. Good. And then I fell in love with it. So I really love that one too, but mm-hmm. I don't, it's, it's a lot harder for me to keep track of all the details, the moving parts. There's so yeah. many moving parts in it that it's just, and also like the romance is what reread. Yeah, and the romance really pulls me in stories and like that's obviously not a romance like there's sexual mm-hmm. tension but like there's zero actual like you know there's side characters that have cute little things but like I mean yeah, I have to kind of imagine the romance <laughs> yeah you kind of have to put your own like you're kind of like okay I don't care what the authors are actually trying to do here like I put this <laughs> in your head um with that story but I mean it's so that's- complicated and beautiful and emotionally yeah. complex and so it, it's a mental strain. It's a, an additional mental strain to try to mm-hmm. imagine stories, romance stories between the characters. Yeah, it's true. Like you're already trying to figure out uh, who does what and uh, what's the mystery behind and what's the who's the phantom site and whatever. And add, romance would be just too much for this story. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. true. It would it would be too much. It also. Yeah draws another attention, another kind of attention to it. Like, I'm drawn to romance first and then to action second, but this is mm-hmm. the other way around. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I might do it, you know, that would be an interesting one to compare the main character there, uh, I mean, male lead there in Tora, Kieran and, and Tora, because they there are some similarities between them. But anyway, for another story. <laughs> so let's get into... Sarah's Bride. Emily, cool. you want to start us off? Okay. Um, so like Mindy said, this is called Myth, which um, I really like that there are titles for these. Like in Midnight Poplin, we don't get that. Um, and I thought that was really cute. And we obviously see why it's called Myth, myth in, in a few panels. Um, but we start off, you know, last episode was we're by this lake. It's actually called White Lake. Um, I, there was a map at some point and it tells you what it's called. Um, so we're at but White Lake. Ulan is resting gave you with a bow and now she's hearing sounds um so she's you know trying to shake Ulan awake Ulan Ulan something's coming wake up and he's dead to the world <laughs> um and so we see this beautiful graphic it's all really dark um it's nighttime but it's really pretty because like all the colors are really vibrant um but we see this wind blowing out the last of the embers from their fire which I have a little tidbit to jump in here um I, I, so I have, where's my book? I have this book on yokai. <laughs> I have three actually, but this volume talks about Okuri Inu. Um, which is oh. the picture for those people that'll watch, but there's the Okuri Inu in the background and there's the guy running from them. Um, oh. And you hear, they actually mention um, that they, this, the demons flee at the smell of the burning fuse. Now this is, olden time Japan so burning fuse I don't know if that was a candle or what but I liked the idea that um just like a candle being snuffed out the fire is being snuffed out and that like last little bit of protection drops and that's when 
we see uh, her start to panic a little bit more at the sound because you know everything's scarier at night without without light. Um, so Yua starts to panic and says, "Damn it, he's dead asleep." Um, and then we see her kind of focus uh, as she notices the fire goes out. Um, then we see a beautiful panel, obviously, of um, the kind of over like overlooking overscape that we see here with the full moon, which seems also fitting. It's full moon, scary wolf story coming up. <laughs> and then another fun fact, sorry, I'm just gonna keep talking this entire podcast. Uh, another fun fact, we see these little like cree, cree, cree sounds, which like I kind of took to, to be um, probably crickets in reality. Um, but from the same book, um, there's a, a line that says, the Okuri, you know, has a special relationship with another yokai. I'm going to butcher this. The Yozazumi. Um, it's an eerie bird's nocturnal song. Uh, and it's often a warning that the Okuri Inu is following you. Um, if someone hears the Yozazumi's chi-chi-chi song, it's like a sign uh, to take extra care that to watch your footing because the Okuri Inu doesn't have dinner that night and they're hunting. Um, I don't think there are crickets. You don't, don't think, think there are crickets? Because, yeah, it's snow. They are up in the north. Crickets don't, don't mm. live in the... I mean, they don't live in the winter. Mm-hmm. So either there's a bird oh, or... Yeah, it could it could be like a yeah like a branch creaking, or it could be it could be anything, or it could, it could be, be a song. It could be a bird. It could be a foreshadowing of sorts. Or it could be a demon. <laughs> or it could be a demon very well. Yeah. It's also that shot of the isolated landscape. It just goes to further cement the fact that they're completely alone, and she won't have anyone else to help her. True. In in oh, which case, yeah. Good. Oh, go ahead. Okay. So which, which going off that, the next panel is her realizing that Wulan's not waking up, there's no one else around here. So she says in that case, she knocks her bow and, and, and is ready to fire. She's you know, I'm ready. She's obviously nervous and she's scared um, of being alone in the situation, but she's not cowering. Um, you know, she tried to wake up, Wulan didn't work. And she was like, cool, plan B. And she takes action, um, which is really cool because she's a very, um, she's a very strong female lead in this story she's quiet um she's been overlooked a lot of her life but she's tough um but also doesn't doesn't it make sense that she's the fourth princess she's adopted we find out later on but doesn't it make sense that she would have received a proper training like a princess Uh, if this stems from mongolian um Mongolian culture and tradition, I think they have this kind of uh, tradition that they teach their kids or the family to uh, to shot an arrow, to work a bow, to ride a horse. So it, make, it would make sense to me that she would be taught in the palace these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And also uh, what I love about this panel is the her kimono, her dress, which oh, her kimono is beautiful. Fish, the koi fish, mm-hmm. which are also a symbolism for strength, and she shows it like in her stance. Mm-hmm. She represents it very well. I just love her face. Yeah, I love the I fierceness in her face, the confidence, but still like that vulnerability all at the same time. It's beautiful. 
It's How like, he's like, I'm scared shitless, but I'm still going to do this. It's because <laughs> I'm so badass bitch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I fucking love big that. Guys. Big guys equals vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. And pale, delicate. So she's definitely her, like, phenotypic, like, you know, mm-hmm. little details are very sensual, gentle. Um, mm-hmm. Her little the hands. Posture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little fingers while knocking the bow back. It's just like, oh my gosh, the kind of strength she... it takes just to do that. Yeah, yeah but she's so, so little and you're so delicate. Like to knock a bow back is hard. Mm-hmm. Have anyone, but she knows it. anyone ever tried to do it? But yeah, she knows it's not it. easy. She knows it. She it's has not the easy. to do it. Yeah. She knows not how easy. to work a bow. It's very yeah. Obvious. My dad was an archer, so he tried teaching me. I'm like, I'll use the crossbow instead. That's easy. <laughs> But like whenever he tried to teach me how to use a bow and arrow, I was like, I can't do this. This extra strength here, this thing here, I was like, I can't do that. Yeah, and if you don't have the stance, you don't if you don't have the the arm positioned correctly, then you cannot pull. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously she knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, so obviously we leave her preparing for whatever is coming out of the woods um and then we get an abrupt switch to a dream sequence um where we see um you know it's fading from from the snow into this fog and it's ulan my son the drought has gone on uh, gone on far too long our people are suffering our kingdom is dying we need you to step up to be merciless to be ruthless to kill um and then it goes on to his father laying on the ground dying um father no uh Ulan's crying poor little guy um but the father continues on despite his sadness saying be it one man or ten thousand um you're only 11 the youngest of your brothers the fiercest and the bravest that is why you were chosen uh by them for the time from the time of your birth the great okuri inu uh but you are also the kindest and that weakness will be your downfall if you let it take over um so do not falter do not stumble do not weep and then there's that image of like the hovering demons in the background with the red eyes. And the whole thing is just gorgeous. How to put that kind of pressure on an 11 year old. So I, I really like that because, um, so it seems like this war is born out of necessity because it's, you know, mm-hmm. the drought has gone on far too long. It doesn't sound like this is like them being a vengeful kingdom. It doesn't sound like they're just being assholes. Like this king is worried about his people and about, you know, it's not just him and his son. He's worried about the whole kingdom. Um, yeah. So his father's dying wish is literally like, I need you not to be kind and I need you to put your duty ahead of yourself, even though I know you're young. Um, and that seems like a lot of, like, that's a heavy thing for a dying man to have to think about talking. Like, it's not like, I love you, son, be happy. It's like, you mm-hmm. need to do this. Like, you need to be strong for me because I couldn't do it. Um, but yeah. this means what? That he wants his son to conquer other kingdoms. Mm-hmm. How how could he end the drought? Yeah, that's why I'm not so clear about. Like, uh, I mean, I, honestly, yeah. it is pretty common for for countries to invade other countries for their resources. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know if I would then go say that it's the best. You know, makes them not immoral. But so it depends on where the water source comes from. I mean, I think if you know so. A lot of times, a, a country that has access to water first can take it 
more than, you know, as it goes downstream, it lessens, obviously. So like, let's say that they're not in the mountains, they're in the north, I'm assuming it's kind of mountainous, but like a lot of times rivers will start at the top of a mountain. So if it starts in like the Eastern Kingdom and it goes down, you know, through the Eastern Kingdom and around to the Western and then up into the North area, by the time it gets to them, it's definitely possible that dams have been built, reservoirs have been made so that they're no longer getting access to the kind of water that they, you know, that they would have if they were closer to the original source. So it depends on the, what resources, and if they're in the North, they don't have as much farming opportunities. Um, they're, they're more dependent on the weather. Um, if it's snowy and icy. Um, so it's definitely possible that just out of necessity, they need to get different land, um, whether, it, whether it was from a more nefarious type of situation or if it was because they didn't have a good relationship with um, more evil countries that didn't want to share their own resources with, with, the, with the more needy. I don't know. We don't, we don't get that, unfortunately, in the story. His father is dying on the battlefield or... Mm -hmm. It's not it clear like as well. So he he dies from injuries. We don't see if it's on the battlefield or do we? Yes, it's on the battlefield. So he kind of took his son, his eleven-year-old son, with him. He's not eleven. Um, he's just the number eleven. No, he is eleven. He, he's um, eleven years old. Yeah, oh, interesting. Is, um, you know, that's interesting. I only I I thought it was like basically calling him a number, like number four, number five, but just saying you're eleven. Um, so, which to yeah, me let's put him in a parallel to um to Yua because she's called Princess Number Four without and you know that's like considered disregarded. So if he's eleven, then he's the you know so very, very my young. my only argument against that, the only my argument for this being his age is um from a storytelling standpoint when his father says you are only 11 the youngest of your brothers and then you it, giving him the duties he needs to do i took that as he is 11 years old because we'll see later in the in this comic we see a back um like a flashback of of yua and it says that she's 11 at that age so to me it seemed like it was like a parallel between this is him yeah. at 11 years old versus this is how yua was treated at 11 years old um, mm -hmm. um but then again we don't have an actual answer, so it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. He also looks to me older than 11, just physically, but, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I can see it. I can definitely see that age thing. He was so. the strongest. So. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a he's a big boy. <laughs> I mean, um, big genes definitely run in that family. They do. That's, and that's definitely true. Um, another and after so many generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big boys. <laughs> I mean, um, this is Tora's face. <laughs> yeah, I, when I saw that, I was like, I thought it was him at first. Not not Tora. I thought it was um, Luan on the floor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Eyes. Strong genes, man. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I like how really drew them a bit on the feminine side. So yeah, they, mm -hmm. like these big strong men, but they have their soft faces. Yeah, mm -hmm. they have so such soft faces. So easy to fall for them. Yeah. My husband called them, what did he say? Girly faces. I don't know, but he's like, how do you like these guys? How do you like uh Ulan? They're such like feminine faces. Ulan and Dora. I'm like, you're blind, hey, boy. I do. <laughs> how I do don't you know know look how pretty they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pretty boys, that's what he called them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah, they which are is pretty. so funny because I don't ever go for pretty boys. Mm -hmm. Like in that's real life, I don't go for pretty boys, I don't go for soft faces. No, but real life is ruined when you when you read this. So. Mm -hmm. Still have strong jaws, so they still have some some masculine. Like it's it's definitely softer than Tora's look. It's not as angular. It's more round. Yeah. Um, but 
She makes them more masculine by stepping some blood spatter on them. <laughs> there you go. That's true. <laughs> Add some gore. They'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Give them a sword or a gun. <laughs> yeah. Or That's an arrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another little tidbit from this. Um, if anyone wants to know what it is, it's called The Hour of Meeting Evil Spirits. I actually haven't gone through this whole one. I'm starting, this is the second or third. I'm going through each one, but it's all just like, images art artwork um from the author and then the description of like where they're located what they eat um habits and stuff um but uh this is i I quickly ran through to get this one but the author is called matthew meyer um but he's got these really pretty illustrations in them so um but from this from this book the i always like the line so do not falter do not stumble and do not weep um but i realized it actually has it's not just pointless that there's actually a legend behind that um the okuri inu uh is somewhat of a blessing and a curse on the one hand if one should trip and fall it will pounce and super at supernatural speed and gobble him or her up um meaning and they go into this in more detail if, if you stumble in the forest if you hit a branch or anything the okuri inu are supposed to be following you um and if you show a sign of weakness and fall they will eat you um but on the other hand they are so ferocious that while they are following you um, no other dangerous yokai or wild animal will come close. As long as you keep your, your footing sure and safe, they will protect you. Um, so it's basically like they protect the strong and if they find someone lacking, they kill them. Um, no, which is really... This is related to episode two when uh, Ulan says to you uh, don't you don't have to run from a wild dog or something like mm-hmm. that. That's true. Because mm-hmm. he will he will pounce on you. He will, he will follow you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... And oh, oh, ooh, the Luca. Hold on. You're like, keep talking. I think I, I think I just made another connection, but I have to, <laughs> I love to check it. I just got very excited. <laughs> but I think it's episode two. You said that was right. Yes. When he smacks the the carriage door open and she she pushes him and starts wants wants to run from him. And he okay. her down. So episode three, then. Um, did she say she's just... Oh, please tell me I'm right. I want to be right. I might be wrong. Okay. I could have sworn... Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Tell me what it is. I'm going to... So my theory was, she, when she trips, when you a trips, she, she trips on that rock. Yeah. Um, so she faltered in, in, the, in, in the forest, meaning she's not worthy and the Ocarino could come eat her but Ulan gets down and talks to her um and I thought at one point when she was laying there he says get up and I thought she said I'm just resting or something I thought she was being snarky I, mm-hmm. I might I might just be missing it but I could have sworn she said something around like when she was like face down being like I'm just laying here like I'm just resting I'm fine um because if you stumble and fall but pretend you were just taking a quick rest like you say out loud like wow like I'm just very tired and like kneel for a second yeah, and yeah. up you, you trick the the Ocarino. Yeah, you trick no. them into thinking you were just resting. You didn't. You didn't stumble. Um, so I kind of liked the idea of her tricking the wolf, tricking Ulan. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I might be wrong. As we keep talking, I'm gonna. I'm gonna look no, this, you're but... not wrong, and it's it's in chapter three or. Yeah, but I don't know. It's really because she says like, "Then just drag me. I don't care." But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, that just it seems like a cute little connection of her like defying the wolf. I'm impressed. Did you come across that book independently or did you read it because of this? Yeah, I, 
I'm, um, I do a lot of my, my not midnight poppy land writing is very, um, like mythological Japanese based. So like I'm right, working on like original storylines, um, on, on yokai and demons and stuff. So I bought these a couple months back to, to get a little more research in, um, and then I hadn't gotten to the Okura Inu yet. And as I was doing notes today, I was like, wait a second. I'm like flipping through the book. I'm like, it has to be in here. Um, and I found it. So wow. that's awesome. Um, that's yeah. a wonderful supplement to the story. Mm-hmm. And the, the art is really good. Like you can follow him on Instagram, um, Kickstarters, books and stuff. Um, he's doing one on Foxes, Fox Spirits next. So he's, it's a really cool artist. I, I like him a lot, but, but that's my take. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm so happy you had that. Had that. Mm-hmm. I'm not very, um, <laughs> I'll give you a bit of background because I grew up in a very religious, mystical, mystically oriented society and I rejected that. I have no inherent interest in um, any kind of mysticism because it was something I moved away from. So even if I you know, I know it's not meant to be taken seriously, I just don't like it. It doesn't appeal to me at all. So <laughs> so I would never go, nice. you know, go reading that kind of stuff, but I appreciate that, that you have that perspective to add. Yeah, I don't know, I've always liked, um, That's I think that's why I liked, originally I, I loved Ashura's Bride more than when I popular when I first found it um, because I like that mythical I like the touch of mythical you know it's still it's still based in like a historical reality um, supernatural. yeah but there's elements even in, in Midnight popular there's elements of supernatural um, which I really like um, just kind of it adds that otherworldliness that takes us away from reality and doesn't make us have to think about the real world anymore yeah Okay, well, I'll yeah. keep going. Tell me so. if you see anything else that's good. Um, but so and so, we go through this this myth. Um, we're still in the dream sequence, and he says, um, "The father continues. Uh, you know, if, if you falter, stumble, or weep, um, the Okuri Inu will devour you in an instant." And we see the dad laying in the battlefield, um, really creepy figures in the background looming, um, and Ulan's young man here, and he's crying. Um, with his glowing red eyes the dog demons you said they were my guardian a part of my soul as much as I was a part of theirs but why didn't they help me save you Um, and the father replies this is a gift to you a gift of true strength always remember that they are your guardian and that he's fading away um, but also your destroyer Um, in the meanwhile we hear someone screaming for him in the background when the the image of him with the red eyes to me I that looked to me like it was the first time he was acquiring his red eyes because you see it's like there's this line yeah. coming out. So yeah. I feel like this was when he got those. Yeah, I feel like this is what like the father is passing on his, I, I don't know, the energy mm-hmm. and the spirit into Ulan and he's just getting them for the first time. Yeah, it definitely feels like that. This is, I actually, I want, I wish I knew the answer because like it could go either way because the dad mentioned they chose you from birth that makes mm. me think he's had them this whole time mm. that doesn't mean that it hasn't been maybe it's just been activated now maybe it's been like a sleeper agent <laughs> like it just came yeah. now maybe his, his eyes do glow red whenever he feels any kind of deeper emotions like they glow red again with the same haze when he's later with you in the bathtub um so this you know it, it has happened again so it's not just an activation for the first time it's whenever it's activated period um but it does seem like a significant moment so like I don't that that you know it could definitely be the dad passing it on maybe maybe they inhabit multiple generations and they're only active when the one dies and it goes on to the next like it could be a million things um but I, I wish I wish we got to find out I think um this is why 
of his father took him in battle with him. Or at least this is what, what's implied, that if he was chosen by the Okuriinu, then his father would know that if, he, if his father would die, then Ulan would inherit the responsibility for his men and his kingdom and everything. So he was raised into this legacy, let's say. Mm -hmm. Either way, it's sad, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what about like... the, the gift of truth? Eh? I have a theory, but I don't know. Right. I was wondering, to me, I thought it meant, you know, that like, that's what gives him the, the strength that, for example, that he killed all those 40 bandits or most of the 40 bandits by himself. And I thought it just meant physical strength. What, what did you think? I thought it so, meant mental and emotional strength. Being up for five days also, yes. <laughs> I think it's both and a little more because this comes right after uh, Ulan says, but why didn't they help me save you? And his father replies, this is their gift to you, their gift of true strength. And they just interpreted like, you cannot be strong enough if you haven't gotten through losses. Mm. And the loss of his father is such a, a, deep, a deep loss, a deep grieving that could make him, uh, could transform him into the man he, he needs to be so that mm -hmm. he can be strong enough to rule a kingdom and to have all the responsibilities of other men on his shoulders, like the life, their lives, something mm -hmm. like that. What like like, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I completely agree. And that's, that is kind of one of my biggest philosophies that undergirds my own life. And it ties into what I, what I noticed about this panel was that Ulan asking, why didn't they help me save you? It is a pretty childish perspective. And, you know, I think about that in terms of like our expectations for life, whether, whether it's a uh, expectations for a God, if you're religious or just for life in general, is that people, um, when you're young, you think everything will be handed if you have a good life, which um, yes. I, I did, for example, you think everything will be handed for you to you on a golden platter and you know things should go well for me things should be good you know and like this is a good world why shouldn't everything go well and then you grow up and you realize things don't go well and sometimes things are just bad and there's there's nothing you can do about it and that's just how it is so nobody but helps you outside right. yourself but even even like the what Mulan says you know with this perspective that he has about the guardians about the dogs he he still has this kind of like unsophisticated notion that if they're my guardians, they should be helping me. My life should be perfect. You know, there should be no sorrow in my life. And that isn't yeah. how life goes. Even if somebody has the best intentions for you, you will still go through sorrow. Like as much as, you know, I'm a parent, for example, and this is like a, you know, pretty <laughs> well-used analogy, but, you know, as a parent, I don't give everything to my kids and I don't put like a red carpet in front of my kids because I know that's not being a good parent. That's not preparing them for life. And, you know, Ulan still has this childish perspective that like, if somebody loves me, if somebody's my guardian, they're gonna make everything good for me. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it goes one step deeper too, in that it it's, it's, a, um, it's like showing his, his, not just a childish, a child's perspective, but Ulan's perspective. Um, his initial thought is that this demon, it, he, he, he ignores kind of the darker side of it 
and he just sees like this is a benevolent spirit that's supposed to help me um and i don't think it's it's just the child shirking away from fear but it's also just his good nature coming across hmm. um he sees he sees that it it has good potential um and he expects nothing but that good potential because he expects nothing but goodness from from other people um he's obviously seen a lot of bad things he's seen war so that's as he's gotten older, that's obviously waned at least a little bit, but he's not jaded. We see the way he treats Yua, who's technically the daughter of an enemy. Um, and he still sees a lot of good in her right and off the bat. And the way his people will greet him later on in the camp and the way he reacts with other people and his relationship with the general, which yeah. who, who I don't, we don't know yet if he is his brother or not, but mm-hmm. he still has a, a, a candid side to him. Mm-hmm. a good side I love that. Yeah. You know, that's a, I didn't really pick up on that so I appreciate that you said that yeah and a I, little yeah hmm. yeah one of the reasons <laughs> you'll hear like I, w- I was not a fan of Luan because I was like he's not soft enough you know <laughs> I said this Ooh. a billion times oh. you know? like I don't he's, go for tough he's men, a so. soft being he's, so. a, he's more soft than Quincy yeah I will I will <laughs> I will fight you. Okay, we have to have this debate at the end. <laughs> Sorry, I will fight you on that on that notion. I, I think very differently of him and Torah. But anyway, we'll get we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. That's the bonus question. That will be real fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait for the bonus questions. Fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get my gloves on. Okay. Um, we'll we'll keep going. Um. But, okay. So Ulan's dreaming. Then he starts hearing his name over and over again. And at first, we're kind of like, okay, is it his father fading away? Um, but instead, it, it morphs into Yua screaming for him. Um, and uh, so, you know, his eyes pop open and he, he hears her now scream. Um, and his first thought is father. Um, but no, it's we get this panel of, of Yua being attacked by this beast um, and she's screaming for help. Um, she's holding him up, which is very impressive. Um, yes. Yeah. And so she's screaming, and you know, pray. It's all that bow practice, girls. It's all that bow practice. <laughs> this is why she has strong hands. She does. She definitely does. Um, and yeah, so she's 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 doing pretty good. I mean, she's got from that one panel, we can see at least three arrows at this point. Three arrows, arrows like that went into him. Him, her, I don't know. like in in the you know a place where she presumably aimed at a mm-hmm. central location. Like it's not like on his rump yeah. or something. You're right. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's a good, yeah, she's a good mark. Um, but Ulan immediately, you know, he's like in action mode. He, he kneels up and then he's running to her as she can't hold him off much, much longer. Um, and then he puts all his, his body weight into this, this charge and shoves the dog off of her. Um, which I don't know if we want to talk. And then we see the dog dead and Ulan on top of him. Um, but I don't know if we want to talk about anything here first. Cause I thought, um, I thought this timing of the dream and of the dog's appearance is very um like prophetic um Mm -hmm. that he had this dream about the akuri Inu, and then all of a sudden this actual beast comes to attack yua um i i took that kind of as like a deeper meaning of like was willen having this dream because yua was with him um, like to me it seemed like the dad was kind of like coming into his dream and reminding him of this memory to kind of be like your downfall is close. Like you need to guard your heart um, because yeah. he was with him now. And he knows that that weakness can come out of Ulan because of her. Um, 
And like, I don't know, like, did he send this dog? Is it just a coincidence? Is the Okuri Inu and calling this dog forward? Can you to interpret this like the Okuri Inu meaning the dog mm-hmm. attacked his kindness meaning Yua? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I definitely thought it was the yeah. what was what his father told you. They are guardian and destroyers, and your kindness will be your downfall. His kindness just appeared in the woods for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is the perfect embodiment of you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. So that's, I, that's, I think we're all on the same page then. Cause it's just like, when I first read this, like, I didn't, I didn't really think about the deeper meaning of that. I was just like, oh, cool. Plot device, move the story forward. She's in danger. But like, it's so much more than that. It's always so much more. I'm also his thinking. Kindness, his kindness, I mean, you are, is strong enough word of the dog mm-hmm. so this is another parallel with himself somehow yeah so he will be strong enough to to get out of Okurino's spell yeah so, so I don't know if you guys notice I don't know how he killed the dog I don't know if mm. it just just that blow alone was enough to finish the dog or if there's something else that happens off screen that we don't see but you'll see like we'll see in the manner in which he treats the dog it's also indicative of his kindness even to something that was you know malevolent to him at this moment and threatening let him. me i'll read these next panels yet. then and then we'll come back because i think that's like through I'll, I'll end there and mm-hmm. then we'll come back and talk about it because i think that's a really big theme throughout these next ones so um we see ulan sitting, ulan sitting on the dog um you was like you know i'm fine you know what is that thing um, and he explains it's a it's a bankar, um, which is a Mongolian like kind of cattle dog. Um, they're huge and they're really pretty, but um, yeah, they're loyal, up. gentle giants used as herd dogs. Um, this one must have gone mad with disease and was released into the wild by its owners. And he was like, "Okay, that's not a dog. That's that's a freaking beast." <laughs> also, um, by the way, like when when I first read that, I was like what you know now you always know the expression you put down a rabbit dog you do not let a red dog like water. that out like how irresponsible are you very irresponsible <laughs> yeah. they were probably either too afraid of it to go near it or felt bad because it was a pet that went nuts and they just thought it was kinder to let it go it's not but it's not <laughs> there's but a phrase we- about like um there's a jewish phrase that those who have mercy on the wicked are going to are destined to end up having um being evil to the to like to the victims anyway but yeah it's like you know it's misplaced kindness anyway yeah yeah so we see more kindness as you are going to mention in a second where ulan is on top of this dog but he says rest my brother it was no fault of yours um and even like yua is touched by this she's in the background nervous but also i think i think touched by his his gesture he closes the dog's eyes um and says may we meet again as equals in our next lives um so i don't know if you want to well there's uh, we can keep going we can talk there's so much i don't know i feel like there's so much to talk about here um yeah. <laughs> i'll get through all this and then we can go back but i says you know you what comes up and says well and i lied um i've only hunted once in my life i stopped because i couldn't bring myself to kill a living being so i think uh, i know your feelings right now and Ulan says lucky you um at least one of us got to stop smiles at her and then they take the beast off to bury it um, where his soul may rest closer to the God and spirit realm, which is really sweet. Yeah. Yeah, there really is a lot here. So yeah. first of all, the fact that Yua is so emotionally intelligent and can see that he is 
sad that he had to kill the dog and then he feels compassion for it you know first of all she comes and puts her hand on his shoulder just saying <laughs> and you know she's she's sharing now her own experience and this is something that you know it's uh, it's validation of his feelings to share something that she also experienced as well that is the same thing that he's experiencing so that's mm-hmm. that's beautiful that's very kind of her mm-hmm. it's a very it's a, it's a whole emotionally this is this whole chapter um, is is a really intense chapter because we see very we see a, a large um like spectrum of all of the of these characters personalities um and now we're, we're getting the compassion side um of it which is really beautiful because um Ulan is a king but he's also and a killer I mean he's he's trained to to be a soldier to to murder people um but he doesn't he doesn't take that for granted you know he actually appreciates life um so he takes the time to to really um think on what he's done instead of just burying it um I think this is where Torah and Ulan differ um I think that Ulan feels and has a, a wears his heart on his sleeve more than Tor does. Um, more maybe out of, and this is a theme throughout this entire chapter, so I'll probably get into it again later. Um, but I, I think that Ulan is is more emotionally um, sort of like accessible um, yeah. from mm-hmm. the different circumstances that they've led in life. Um, Ulan has had, I think, a loving family, even if it's been a rough situation. I, you know, he's got his 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 men that love him. Um, a father that trusted him and gave him purpose if, if, if it was a little cruel maybe for a young child but he he, he obviously valued his son um, so when Ulan actually talks about um, about not wanting to kill people and and um, and being you know showing emotion that he is sad that that this was a regrettable moment and he talks about it instead of shutting down um, which I think is really impressive for someone that's probably killed a lot he, he doesn't shrink away from it he openly discusses it, um, which I think is is a really strong virtue of his. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to take into consideration that there were other times when killing a man for several thousands on battlefields was taken differently by people than killing a man on the streets of Narin City. I mean, it's... Uh, also I, I've seen as a thought of people I feel like a lot of people have more compassion on animals because animal, animals have no moral agency and especially this animal you know if it, if it had gone mad he this animal did not understand what it was doing didn't want to be doing what it was doing and human beings you know they do have agency and they they do have evil intent so I can see it being possible for him and many people to have more compassion for animals than for humans that were out to kill them that they had to kill yeah he is attached to his horse as well mm-hmm. yeah and also i'm sure you all noticed the tears in the dog's eyes mm-hmm. yes oh i have, I have yeah. a note here that just is breaking my heart <laughs> <laughs> and cool getting all teary poor little guy that's that's the extent of my notes here <laughs> but um but yeah so back on what you were mentioning about um Ulan about Yua comforting Ulan which again both of them seem to be I think Yua is more closed than Ulan is which is kind of a, the polar opposite of um Poppy and Tora not not in a bad way but but Yua definitely is um 
she's keeping things closer to her chest than Ulan is. I think he opens up more. So this this reaching out from Yua is really special because she she's not putting um, you know who he might be or the situation they're in first or her own fear. She's thinking about him and and why he said and um, I have honestly I see more of Yua in Tora than of Ulan. Me too. Yeah, I do too. The personalities I think match better for in my opinion. Um, but what do I have here? Oh, I love that. Um, so usually in stories, and this comes again later at the end, but like in, in a lot of romance stories, it's usually like the man is the grump and the girl is a sunshine character. And like in this case, I think it's the opposite because like yeah. one is very positive. So like when, when you says like, I understand where you're coming from, like I didn't want to kill anymore. And implying that, like, I understand you probably don't want to either. She, and she has the capacity for empathy, just like she Florida. does. There, yes, just, but yeah. At the same time, when that empathy is directed to her, she deflects. Mm-hmm. She, Very, she, yeah. she, she puts the shield up, she puts the, the wall up, and okay, I'm a princess, I'm not, I do not want you near me. Mm-hmm. She does. Like she that. she deflects. She uses she uses humor a little bit, not as much. Um, because she's some humor. insecure, just like mm-hmm. Tora is. Yeah. Because of the way she was treated as a child, just like Tora was. Yes, so. yes, that. <laughs> um, and I love that this little sunshine character Ulan is. It's not really that sunshiny, but like he kind of is. Um, but he's this little positive being that's like at least one of us got to stop. Like he doesn't take this and like go into his own little world he doesn't curl up into a ball of, of desperation and sadness he's just like i'm glad that you didn't have to do that anymore like that's wonderful um it is more and- of a bitter statement on his part you know of regret that he has to keep killing and something that's weighing on his mind that he doesn't want to keep doing but he has to so i viewed it more as a bitter statement yeah which is definitely po- maybe i'm looking at it from from a, i'm also just a more positive person i could i could find light at the end and everything but um but yeah, I read that as I because it's a little smirk, but it could be a sardonic smirk. Um, but I liked that it from from uh, maybe it just makes me happier. But I liked it as kind of like a like yeah, like one of us gets to stop. Like I like I, I'm gonna take this burden, but like I'm glad that you don't have to. I um, I, I see luminosity on his face. Here you see what he said that luminosity. Mm. He glows like I don't know. Maybe it's just an effect that really uses. Or, when he's he a pretty girl and one of us gets to stop it's like he has a hope for her and he doesn't uh, dwell on his own uh, his own fate very selfless of him you what that no. said so that would be very selfless of him mm-hmm. i don't know if he's quite up to that but i mean that's a very generous interpretation <laughs> <laughs> probably <laughs> optimistic I mean, there definitely is a level of resignation to his faith that I think he has, but it's one of those things that's like, if we're going to compare it to Torah, it's also, it's not a healthy resignation. It's resignation out of necessity because, you know, you, you have to, if you want to live with, live with yourself, you have to accept certain things, but really like the, the ideal healthy state is to not have to kill, not have to be resigned to killing. So which. Do you want to take over from here, Mindy? Sure. So, right, so you said that he he wants to bury him up closer to the God in the spirit realm. Again, this is, you know, when I first read this, the first thing I thought was, you know, he was woken up from his sleep, the like precious few hours he had after five days, and he's still taking the effort to lift this very heavy dog up and go bury it. And that's 
a lot of work, you know, burying, burying, you know, opening a hole with shovel that I don't see. <laughs> you know, I, so know. I was like, what is he burying this dog with? <laughs> Masculine <Hands>. strength. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, his hands just gonna, yeah. gonna borrow. <laughs> Maybe. And then up on a hill too. So then they have to climb up a hill. They have to go find a hill. Like that's a that's a lot of effort for a night. It is. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of effort for one night. Yep. And now he goes and he praises her, which is very nice of him. He says, "Good job with the bow and arrow." By the way, you were savage. She says, "Thank you." And <laughs> now they're they're back at the camp. Um, he's built his someone has built the fire again. Maybe there was both. And they're sitting by the fire. Yua is huddled up on, under her cloak, not looking very happy. And he asks, um, you're bringing that to bed with you? Because she's still holding the bow and she's clutching it to her. And she says, I'm not tired. But you get the sense that she's holding it to her because she's traumatized by what happened to her. And she's terrified mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. This is nothing to do with what you're just saying. <laughs> the, yeah. the, in this panel though. Um, the tree has little Cree, Cree next to it. So I yeah. think we have our answer. I think it was the tree branches mm-hmm. creaking that was mm-hmm. making that sound before. So it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> obviously bugs. It was, it was a tree. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> okay. That's good. Thanks. And Yua, uh, not Yua, Uwan is looking over at her. And to me, there's a lot of that. Tora always has that expression where he looks over at mm-hmm. a puppy and he notices something about her emotionally. And it's mm-hmm. like a very sympathetic look. So this is Uwan doing the same thing to her. And then he um, tells her, you know, he's like, he notices that she's trembling, um, mm-hmm. which is presumably a fair. And he says, you know, it, you're a brave lass, but it's okay to be scared. You don't have to be strong all the time. Which is so, so nice because he sees that, you know, she's afraid and he wants to try to make her feel better. And I, so this is another reason that I see, uh, you're definitely right. I definitely see a lot of Torah in, um, in his mannerisms here, but I think him speaking forward, it's like speaking so openly about, about what he's seeing in her um, is where him and Tori differ just a little bit um, because Ulan is very, is very warm, I think. Um, and, and, and maybe a little bit more confident. So it, it leads to him being able to speak more freely than Tor would. Um, because Tor definitely will notice something and then like do a little gesture. Like he's more of an inaction kind of person, which Ulan later um, does, but he speaks first. Whereas Tor like acts first and kind of like follows through with a little bit of, little bit of like, you know, warm phrases. Um, I think Ulan is, is chattier um, and definitely more engaging than, than Tora. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, like I do feel that Tora, he surprises me sometimes with his level of emotional outreach, like um, in episode, in the last episode where Poppy, well, second to last episode where Poppy tells him, you know, I'm sorry that I'm not going to continue kissing you, but she basically um, harkens back to jewelry. And, you know, he immediately tells her like, you don't have to apologize for living life the way you want. And he does vocalize things more than I, I would expect someone with his background to. So yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go sit there and count and compare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have I have this theory where it's like, you know, Ulan's also probably acting the way he is with Yua because she just doesn't know who he is. Mm-hmm. She has no idea that he is an enemy. She has no idea that he is a king. 
and what he's capable of doing and things along those lines. And he knows that she doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And so he can relax a lot more and be more himself, kind of like how Torah is able to be more himself when he's around Poppy because, you know, like he doesn't have to put up a front. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And just like they're parallel. Like Ulan doesn't have to put up a front in front of you because she doesn't know who he is. So mm-hmm. it's like he doesn't have to be the that brutal, you know, like warrior guy. Mm-hmm. A king that's like that he's known to be with mm-hmm. everyone else. You know, so he's just he's just doing him. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Love it. Totally agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we get a sense of what Yua's background was and what happened the previous time that she was scared because we see her, you know, sitting there as a young child wiping her tears and her second prince and third prince are, her brothers are around her, you know, really denigrating her. Younger sister's crying again. You're so annoying. All we do is push you into that pond and you climb out on your own. You're already 11, which is what you said, that she's 11 here. Stop being so childish. Let's go. We'll be late for sword practice because of this brat. Nobody pays, any, nobody pays any attention to her. So she does have to get attention from father and mother, which that's a very telling statement that even her brothers realize that nobody pays attention to her. That's very, very sad. Mm-hmm. And, and I like awful. These are awful siblings. Yeah, like the only person with a bond. This was a huge contrast here. So this is where I was hearkening back to the father talking to Ulan, where he says, you know, you're only 11, but I need you to step up. If that means killing thousands of people, that's what it means. Um, That you're the strongest and the bravest of your brothers. Like he, he, he is recognized, uh, Ulan is, is cherished, um, you know, his family and his people depend on him, they look to him, um, whereas here, you was begging for attention, and yet no one is giving it to her, um, she's capable, she's smart, she's observant, um, and yet she has to act out to get attention because no one is seeing those positive traits in her, and they're the same age, um, but whether it's because she's a girl or um, because she doesn't have uh, some kind of outward special demons that have chosen her above everybody else. She just has, you know, human well, smarts. She's um, adopted. She's not related to them, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. It's whatever it is, she's the same age and treated in this situation and treated in a completely different, in a completely different way. See, I don't see, see with this panel, I don't see her as someone that she's like seeking outside attention. I think she's simply just reacting to being bullied. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I mean, because the prince says she seeks attention, but yeah, she's totally being bullied. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it could be one of those things. They're just saying that to her to degrade her even more. Like mm-hmm. she could just be like completely perfect and fine and docile and just does her own thing. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. It could just be, they're just saying that to make it worse for her. Because they're obviously awful brothers. Because <laughs> like, I can, I can, that's kind of like how I took this panel. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, because she doesn't seem like, even with her, you know, in her adult character, she doesn't seem like the attention seeking. She's just more of the, I just got to get shit done kind of person. You know, mm-hmm. like she had to climb out of, you know, that pond by herself. Because she's like, I just, no one else is going to help me. Mm-hmm. No one else will be by my side. No one else will help me. I just have to do this on my own because that's how she was her whole life. Always being ignored. No one paid attention to her. It's not necessarily that she was seeking for attention. It's just that no one's paying attention. Mm -hmm. 
And then like for someone like, okay, so I'm child five of six. So I have a lot of older siblings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was one of those things. I never really felt the need to like look for attention. And I always felt kind of in the background, but at the same time, I mean, I didn't grow up with awful siblings. Luckily, my siblings are awesome. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's really easy to get lost when you're the youngest of a large family. And so you just kind of take on that role of just kind of like being used to being on the side a little Mm -hmm. and letting everyone else just kind of do their thing. And I feel like that's her, but they're just being mean (laughs) about it. Yeah. I like that take a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you can tell, like, she's not an attention seeker. She's, like, even in the in the first episode where she approaches her father, and I'm assuming, like, who, that advisor, and she's like, mm-hmm. I'll go and take this place. It's not because she wants the attention. No. It's just, like, this shit needs to get done. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to get it done. Like, that's she even mindset. says um, to her handmaiden, like, don't worry. Like, I'll be back. Like, why are you freaking out? Like, it's, yeah. we're cool. Yeah, she's a fighter. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm a substitute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love all this. Yeah, this shows in character nowadays. analysis from one panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this shows in her next uh, reply. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Shut down. She's probably used to always saying I'm fine, based mm-hmm. off just being so belittled when she was little. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he doesn't let her get away with it because he grabs her hand and brings her close to him. She's like, "What are you doing?" But he's, you know, hugging her in close to him himself. And he claims, he's like, oh, I'm protecting myself from you because you're pretty dangerous with that bow. And I'd rather not risk getting shot in my sleep. But, you know, <laughs> you correctly assesses that, you know, she says, is he trying to comfort me? And you're right. You know, he, he was, he did that because he saw that she was feeling sad and, and scared and he mm-hmm. wanted to comfort her. Yeah. You know, he's not going to a silly man. <laughs> you know what? This panel reminds me of, of that episode in Cora's apartment when oh. Poppy is, uh, is still upset from, from the dinner from the previous night. Yeah. Oh. And he noticed, notices that and asks her, what's wrong? And she's, I'm fine. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And then he approaches like her that. and embraces her just as Ulan does now. You are. Oh, that's true. Oh. I thought I thought of the overlook scene. I didn't even think of that one. I was thinking like when he actually when they do the simple thing where he pulls her into the side, um, overlooking Naren. I did not even consider that scene. That's so that's that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I didn't. I mean, yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> like oh my heart. So cute. All of them. Yeah. Well, Poppy was used to being uh, to being bullied, right? In mm-hmm. her childhood and That's young age, story. just as you was with her brothers and who knows who else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the same reaction of a, of a bullied person that internalizes everything and deals with this on her own. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about it. So mm-hmm. I, I read this too um, in another way. I'm, I'm coming for Mindy again. This is where her, this is where I, I, I saw the difference between Ulan and Tora again. Um, in that I think that Ulan is softer um, or, and more emotionally available um, because, and, and warm because he, uh, he pulls her in obviously, which there's, I have in my notes, so like, so unlike, and yet so like Tora, um, because I think they're, 
execution of this move and their motivation for this move is very different. So while they act in the same way and they obviously have the same um, like purpose, like they want, they, they both want to help the girl. Um, they're definitely like in this way, but I took it as Ulan is being cheeky here. Um, but mm-hmm. instead of it being as an attempt to cover his own insecurities, like where, where, where Tora will fall back on a sexual innuendo or something because he's not your, you know, he's starting to get a little bit uncomfortable with, you know, wherever the conversation is going or being more vulnerable or open. Instead, Ulan sees that she's uncomfortable and he makes a joke um, kind of at her expense instead of Tora making one at his own expense. He says like, you might shoot me. Like, you're going to attack me. Like, I'm protecting myself here. So instead he <laughs> um, covers her insecurities by making her feel better about her skill and herself. Um, whereas Tori uses sexual attention and um, to mask his own fears um to but you know he's bolstering so you know it, it seems like it's very, it's very similar but there's just like a little bit of a difference in 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 their confidence and in how they use humor to deflect the situation because they have um they have a different emotional baggage that they're carrying they're they're they're, they're both had rough lives but one is obviously significantly more secure than the other mm. interesting yeah, now I would want to reread it with uh, an eye to that. That's an interesting one. Hmm. Also, her bug eyes are really fucking cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I have in my notes, back that ass up and move that hand a little lower, Ulan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, he tells her to get some sleep. We have a long day of writing tomorrow. Again, the, the show of concern. And, you know, mm-hmm. she goes closer, she says silly man, and she falls asleep. You know, she's, she's secure. She, she takes mm-hmm. it. She can, she can relax in his arms, just nice. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Ulan cannot. He's a few hours later, <laughs> still lying there, and he's like, fuck. And she's sleeping. He's still wide awake, and he's like sweating bullets. And he's like, this is the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Which It's still well, funny, no matter how many times. It's, yeah. always, it's always just it's it'll never not be funny it'll nope. always be funny because i'm yeah. pretty sure every guy can relate to that yeah like, <laughs> i would have um, just rolled away from her like because i don't know i mean maybe i'm very much an adult so i'm like i want to sleep <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like that i can parallel it to the same episode when poppy straddles him yeah. <laughs> right mm-hmm. like the same reaction and the thing. same the same level of discomfort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, except um, you was not feeling anything because she's sleeping. We don't know that. Yeah, little Z's could be faking it. Yeah. <laughs> We're so one track minded. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Also, these so. chapters are long, man. Yeah, <laughs> they're long. long. They're long. I was making notes and I got to this next section. Yeah, and I was like, what? where's more? <laughs> I don't remember them being this long. Yeah. So now we get to the next day and um, we have some narration after almost one full day of writing and many miles away. Here, Wulan tells, tells her, we go from um, on foot from here, Princess Yujen. Kara is as exhausted as I am, the horse, and I wanted to let her get some rest. And she asked him, we're almost at your camp. It's just up ahead. And we have this nice landscape, mountains, a little bit more green, you know, not so much snow. 
And mm -hmm. she says, I've never been this far from my palace before. He's like, it's pretty, isn't it? So, you know, it's, she's been sheltered basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's only two days distance from her house. So that's not that far, honestly. So also she, fun fact, mm -hmm. um, Kara is, means dark or black in Mongolian. So his horse's name is essentially Blackie, which is really freaking cute. <laughs> He's like, big war man rides Blackie. <laughs> like, the big black stallion. Yeah. So yeah. cute. <laughs> Right, and we have the typical contrast, you know, Yua is all in white and he's in dark colors. So mm. especially if his horse is named black, then it's a true more mm -hmm. of a contrast, which is again, you know, the classic, we've always had that with, you know, Tora wearing dark colors and Poppy wearing bright colors and she's in the mm -hmm. light. So another reflection over here. <laughs> and he, we hear her thoughts. She's thinking that I give up trying to probe. You'll find out soon enough is all he'll tell me. But according to my lessons, it looks like we're in the Western region now which um, at least she does have, you know, she did have geography lessons and she, she's keeping track. She's trying to keep her bearings. You know, she's not turning her mind off. <laughs> she's sneaky and mm -hmm. smart. Yeah. And now she's wondering, does that mean that he's an ally? <laughs> Again, because she is really fearful of, you know, her safety and where she's going to end up. And she asks them, can I keep that bow and arrow? Um, possibly because maybe she's worried she'll have to use it. Yeah. And, you know, he responds back with a joke. He's like, keep it as a memento of your encounter with Ulan the Great. And she's like, Ulan the Great egomaniac, you mean? Which is, that's a very bantery moment. And he laughs. They're so cute. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. I like that he laughs just like Bora. Mm -hmm. yeah. They have little crinkly eyes and yeah. a smile. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're cute. Their banter is really, um, mm -hmm. is very, very similar to Poppy and Tora. Like, it's very like, it's very Lily, Lily trademark. That's what I literally. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's Lily trademark scenario. I wonder if like, that's how her and her husband talk to each other. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to go into that. Yeah. <laughs> Lily. like, let me thirst in peace, please. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I know my husband and I definitely talk like this to each other. We mm -hmm. are constantly making jokes. <laughs> my partner and I are always, always going back and forth. Always bantering, always just, always teasing. We always tease yep. each other. That's like majority of our relationship. <laughs> just teasing. It's sturdy. Yeah. I like it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because his life is so serious. Like <laughs> he's dark and moody and serious. I'm just like, why? <laughs> why? Explain, please. Like, please. Explain. Why are you mad at that toaster right now? I don't even understand. <laughs> Sometimes he gets so mad, and I just laugh at him because I'm just like, "Did you really just get that mad at your phone?" <laughs> Veronica, that's probably why he was attracted to you because he knew he needed someone like you in his life. Yeah, I'm sure he needed sunshine. He needed so much sunshine. He's <laughs> A little dose of sunshine. Yeah, I mean, he's exactly. I mean, he really is. I mean, you met you met him, Mindy. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I'm surprised he wasn't wearing black that day. <laughs> All he ever wears is like 50 shades of black. <laughs> like even my, my, my niece, she drew a portrait of her and Scott. And she, she, yeah. I mean, she was like three. It was adorable. They were just triangle stick figure things, but she made sure to draw. She's like, wait, I need a black marker. <laughs> and so could her, his jeans and his dock boots. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> and she's pink. <laughs> that's so funny. So cute. 
yeah we love we love broody men what can we say it's a thing it's a trope that's real life too like mm-hmm. is this fly? <laughs> yeah mine is anti-fiction very eyes straight ahead um right yeah and i'm like how do you live <laughs> how do you, how do you just read non-fiction all day yeah <laughs> you just read non-fiction books and and you know historical books which is fine like that's I get that bit but then it's like but then like where's your imagination <laughs> non-existent absolutely non-existent <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny so anyway Ulan is showing his upside here again because he grabs her and she's like hey and he's like relax I'm just keeping you warm you're cold aren't you I felt you shivering on your on your way here which is you know I wonder if it's like him grabbing the last physical touch of Yua before he he'll be at the camp and he he thinks he won't be able to anymore and she's like well it's even colder out here than back in the forest I'm not garbed in cold proof leather unlike you she's grumbling so this is where we see that sunshine grump switch like <laughs> he's super sunshiny he's going home he's bringing this girl home with him <laughs> like he's all like flowers and she's just like it's I well it's cold I'm not like dressed like you are and she's like pouting and being cranky and like he's still like smiling and laughing at her and teasing which is just like so adorable I, I'm not used to that dynamic mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, ah, haha, your esteemed family hasn't been feeding you enough, little girl. And he's laughing. And she now is um, looking up at him and asking him a serious question. She's like, Ulan. And she says, what happened with your troops? Why were you alone? I mean, I'm no expert on warfare, but, and then he cuts her off and he's like, oh, I wouldn't expect a little girl like you to be an expert on warfare, which I think also is, again, a way of his not answering the question and Mm -hmm. teasing her. Mm -hmm. I guess he doesn't want to answer. And, you know, it has the, the intended effect because she gets angry and she's like, what exactly do you, mean, do you mean by that? And then he quotes, he says, women are meant to be cherished and protected while their man is out at war fighting for them. And he's also squeezing her and she's like, ow, ow. <laughs> he's like, really, do you think so? Um, which I think she reacted that way with a little bit of hesitation because she's wondering if he's talking about her and if he wants to cherish her. You know, that's, what, that's what I think. Do you think that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, his arms around her. It's kind of hard to ignore that implication. <laughs> but mm-hmm. he dashes her hopes and he's like, nah, that's what my troops are always telling me. Women can come and go as they please in my life. I don't care. So eh, he's really not um, giving her the answer she wants to hear. And he even is aware of that. And he's teasing her. He's like, why Why do you ask? Are you standing me out as a potential? And she's like, oh, I should have known. So in her brain, she's like, oh, you know, oh, well, I, I was hoping, but I shouldn't have. And But of course, she denies that. And she's like, don't be shameless. I'm just curious. Denying the fact that she was expressing. I'm just loving how he plants ideas in her head. (laughs) Yes, you're right. He's being sneaky. He's flirting here. He's a hundred percent flirting here in like the subtlest. Now she's now she's just talking about now she's like, but isn't it nice to go home with that person? Like mm-hmm. she wasn't thinking about that at all. She was just trying to figure out where her where his soldiers were, why he was by himself, and now they're he was just being a little spy. And, yeah. <laughs> which she is being a little spy, actually. But yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. And and he's not falling for it. Well, he kind of is. So I have like a lot of notes on this section, but just those two panels. Um, because I thought this was a really complex interaction because mm-hmm. it has uh, details of like each of their personalities and each of their purposes so like she's trying to fish for information um he's noticing that she's fishing for information so he deflects with like this like macho man 
you know, like little girls don't know warfare, but like at the same time, he's like, you're asking a lot of questions. Like maybe mm. you do. <laughs> um, and so he deflects with this cute little line. And then he, so he goes into basically a tour move. He goes into like sexual tension, fluster, evasive maneuvers of like a cute little like, aha, uh-huh, like I'm going to get flirty and fluster you. And it a hundred percent works. Cause she's like, is he being cute? Oh no, he's not, he's being a jerk. But like, what if, do I like him being cute? Do I want him to be cute? And then like all of her questions are completely out of her brain because she's, she's, um, what I say, she's digmatized. She's, she's not hypnotized. <laughs> she, she wants the D. So she's, uh, completely forgetting about her purpose of finding out more information. Um, but like, she's soft but she's also capable and I think Ulan sees that too so like he's they're both very conflicted at this moment they're both like trying to figure each other out but realizing that they kind of like each other a little bit and then they kind of pull back a little bit at the same Mm -hmm. time um and it's like a really pretty dance in just this conversation right and I think yeah the fact that he mentions it is not just to fluster her but also like I think what you said to sound her out to see Mm -hmm. like is she interested in me does she want to be that woman Mm -hmm. yeah that one and, person yeah <laughs> yeah and she she does like that she has those romantic ideals she says isn't it nice to return home to that one person the one that you love and care for the most mm-hmm. and he says i can't say i understand that notion very well but i think he wants to you know and he says maybe my harem needs to work harder to make me understand when i get back Deflection. And her eyes go wide <laughs> <What? laughs> he's like we're almost there but she's like a harem since when did soldiers have harems so <laughs> it's two things it's a um you know, like, okay, is he really a soldier? But also B, I think there's a little bit of a personal wound to her where she's like, you know, she kind of had a little bit of her eyes on him and it's hurts her to hear that he has a harem and like that there's other women. Mm-hmm. And like, for some reason I didn't, like I, I, I see how like that was, I was probably by design, like why it was written in here, like that it's both things. But I think um only because it it lands the, the chapter ends on that a harem since when did soldiers have quote unquote dot, 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 harems um i thought that, that the bigger the bigger part of that that delivery was like a wait a second and like this is the moment where she's just like she was she was just thinking maybe he's an ally and all of a sudden she's like wait camp in the the was it western or east they're not in the north like he's he's camped out in a place that's not a kingdom that he belongs and he has a harem and all of a sudden it's all clicking she's just like shit what am I getting myself into and her eyes bug out because like she's slowly putting everything together um because she's a smart little cookie but yeah, yeah. I mean obviously she's not happy about the harem part of it but I, I thought the bigger <laughs> was, was the sneaky part mm-hmm. <laughs> I really wonder how these women like these wives handled all these harems it's like that's an interesting way to live life yeah. Being okay with harems and concubines. But like, if I think about it in the reverse aspect, oh, like it's not that bad. <laughs> oh, like a reverse harem? Yeah, don't on me. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like okay, I can understand a reverse harem. Yeah, but yeah, yeah there you go. Right? <laughs> that was that was quick and easy. <laughs> now you know how harem started. You know? yeah. <laughs> So that okay, was a good, good. cliffhanger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do we have any quick final thoughts on this episode before we go on to bonus content? I don't think so. I don't, we said we'd talk about something at the end, but I think I, I think I talked about it anyway throughout the whole, the whole thing. So I think, I think we're good. We covered yeah. a lot of neat and parallels between 
basuras en, en el época de año. Sorry, well, I didn't hear that. What did you say? I, I think I covered a lot. We, we covered a lot uh, during this episode, like parallels with Midnight Poppy Land and myths and supernatural and death stories. Yeah. Yeah. Back yeah. to a lot of a lot of information. There was a lot. I think, yeah, I think we, I think we did good. <laughs> yeah, we definitely covered a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. So I'm gonna stop this recording and then we'll do the bonus questions. Thank you to my current patrons, Susie, Lady Liberus, Mary, Alley Cat, Chelsea, Lily, Jenny, Haley, One and Only Taco, Elizabeth, Maria, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, and Joe Rochelle. It is very, very much appreciated. Uh, uh.